visiting with us and didn't get a copy of our notes or you didn't get a copy of our notes as you came in, please put your hand up and someone will bring you. That's a good idea. Switch that one off. Uh, so you can follow along at home. Or, uh, review the things, the references at home. There are Bible study questions on the back. I encourage you to, to take a look at those. All right. Last week we had a story about Bart and Tim. Bart and Tim, connecting the healing of blind Bartimaeus at Jericho and a few days later with the events at the first Easter. Uh, a few days before the events of the first Easter, and then the healing of the lame man at the temple, a few days, maybe a few weeks after the day of Pentecost. And, of course, Peter and John come along, and the lame man calls out for money, and Peter says, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he went walking and leaping and praising God, and such a crowd gathered around that Peter was able to preach another powerful gospel message that we read last Sunday, proclaiming that the Jesus that they had killed, they had killed the author of life, was not dead, but had been raised from death and calling on people to repent and turn to God. And the story does not end there. Chapter 3 ends and chapter 4 continues the story. As the children read for us before, this story has an interesting conclusion because one way to cut a sermon short is to have the preacher arrested. Hopefully that won't happen this morning. The preacher was arrested by the temple guard and by the Sadducees who had come down because they heard there was someone down there proclaiming the resurrection from the dead. And the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, which is why they were so sad, you see. Yes? That's how you remember what a Sadducee is about. They're sad because they don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And here these people are, proclaiming that Jesus is alive. And the story of what happens next is recorded in Acts chapter 4 and gives us, gives us an example of how we should share the good news about Jesus Christ with boldness. The need for gospel certainty, gospel priority and gospel dependency. First, gospel certainty. The apostles knew what they believed, and they were sure that the message was needed and needed to be proclaimed. On being questioned by the religious leaders, Peter takes the opportunity to proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ. His third sermon in as many chapters here in Acts. We're reading Acts chapter 4, verse 8 and onwards. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And he quotes from the Old Testament. He says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And then he says this amazing verse. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no under name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. 
This short message proclaims that Jesus was crucified, that God raised him from the dead, and that he is the only one who can save. Save from death, save from sin, save from sickness. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus is unique, the only one who can save. And so his message must be proclaimed. If there's only one exit from a building that's on fire, you say, the exit's over here. Yes? You need to point people towards the way out. And Jesus is the only way out. We must point people to him. There is no other path to life. There is no other path to health. There is no other path to redemption. The who and what of Jesus needs to be communicated. Last night, our missionary speaker told us her story about the work she does with the people of Guinea in West Africa, amongst a population that are 99.9% Muslim. She has to be careful what she says and how she says it. But the good news of Jesus is being communicated and lives are being changed because the gospel message has to be told. You know, Jesus said some extraordinary things about himself. Jesus says in John chapter 14, let's read this one together. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. Who comes to the Father apart from him? No one. No one comes to the Father, he says, except through me. That's an extraordinary thing for someone to say. In recent weeks, uh, my family, we've been working our way through John chapter 5, and it starts off with a very simple story about Jesus healing the man by the, lake of, uh, by, the, by the pool of Bethesda. Not a lake, the pool of Bethesda. And then it gets really deep, really fast into deep theology. And as I'm reading this to my kids, I'm going, wow, this is, I've not, I don't think I've read this properly before. And this week, the verse, this verse popped out to me. John chapter 5, verse 24. Let's read it together. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Jesus says, if you listen to my words and believe in the God who sent me, you will live forever. You have eternal life. You will not be judged. You have crossed over from death to life. That's an extraordinary thing to say. And of course, our verse that we read here every work at Logan Wesleyan. Mark 1.15, let's read it together. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus proclaims that in him, the kingdom of God is here. It's here and now. And anyone who repents and believes can be part of God's family, part of God's kingdom. This message needs to be shared, needs to be passed along. And people need to be pointed to Jesus because he is the only way, the only truth, the only life. And so there is a priority to the gospel. 
You know, Peter and John are certain of the truth of the gospel, that there's no other way for people to be saved but through Jesus Christ, and that this message must be proclaimed, proclaimed wisely, proclaimed well, and despite threats and opposition. And so we read on in Acts chapter 4. When the council saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. The Sanhedrin is the Jewish council. Verse 16, what are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them not to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. The religious leaders are amazed at their courage. These are some unschooled and ordinary men, but they have been with Jesus. And that has made all the difference. They've been changed. They've been transformed. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And they have become a threat to the religious establishment, to the power of the small group who control access to the things of God. And so Peter and John need to be stopped. So the council threatens them and commands them and demands of them. But Peter and John simply reply, should we listen to God or to you? We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. You know, the gospel is a threat to many people, to many systems. It will be opposed. Jesus knew this. This is no neutral message. It upends everything. I was speaking this morning with, um, with Alan down here about the situation in Gaza and talking about what's happening there with the war between Israel and and Hamas. And we sort of came to the conclusion that Jesus is right. Jesus says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. No, that's not how you're to live. We're to live in a different way, not to repay evil with evil. But the world doesn't like that message. The The world wants the message, you throw a rocket at me, I'll throw ten back at you. And Jesus says, no, stop it. Stop it. You'd be better off being wronged. There is legitimate authority in the world. And in Romans chapter 13, Paul tells Christians that they should respect the emperor and they should do what the government says and they should follow the laws. And yet, there are also times when Christians are told to say, actually, emperor, that's wrong. Actually, Nebuchadnezzar, I don't want to bow down to that golden statue he cannot save. Actually, high priest, I cannot follow your instruction. I have to tell people about Jesus. We live in a country of incredible freedom. 
But when the government says there are things we cannot do in the name of Jesus, we need to be very careful about which laws we will follow and which we will say, actually, no, we need to do what God says, not what you say. So when the king says, bow down, what do we say? No way. No way. It takes courage. It takes boldness to stand against opposition, to share a message of love and peace and grace with a world that wants revenge and victory and reward. It takes boldness to stand up for the gospel. And so the first action of the apostles and the early church is prayer. We read on in Acts chapter 4 and verse 23, having been threatened with arrest and being threatened with all these ways and threatened and threatened and threatened, they let go. And it says in verse 23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you have made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand would happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Peter and John know that they cannot do this task alone. They need the support of the other apostles. They need the support of the church, of the gathered believers, and they need, above all, the power of God. They have a gospel certainty. They are sure that Jesus is the only way to survive, to live, to be saved. They have a gospel priority. that The message needs to be shared no matter what the world says. And they have a gospel dependency. They know that this work relies on God doing his part, demonstrating his power, doing amazing things. And so they pray. They ask for boldness. They ask for God to stretch out his hand to heal and for signs and wonders to accompany the message. Silver and gold have I none is what started this whole episode. But such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. There is so much we do not understand. There is much beyond our understanding about all these things, beyond our comprehension. But it is clear that God is interested in partnership with his people to spread his message. We have a part to play in the proclamation of the good news about Jesus. 
we have a role to fulfill. Whether that's preaching in the temple courtyard or staring at sharing a story with children in the dirt of a backyard in Guinea or supporting the work through giving physically and generously or spiritually through prayer, we all have a part to play in this message of inviting God, asking God to, to be part of us, to work with us, to come alongside us, to stretch out his hand to heal perform signs and wonders as the message is proclaimed. So often Christians rely on the silver and the gold. We're going to do it in our own strength. We're going to do what we can in our flesh. But that doesn't go very far and it doesn't do very much. We need God to turn up and do his part. And he commands us and he asks us to pray about it and to invite him into it. We have a part to play in the great mission of the gospel. and God has to play his part as well. Are there any questions this morning before I come to a conclusion? For those visiting with us, I'd like to stop and see if there's anything I've said that you'd like to know more about or something that was unclear. Hans. Sure. So Hans is asking about the reference. Uh, so John 5, I think you mean. The John 5 reference was saying they will not be judged. Yes. And, but there are other places in the Bible it says that Christians will be judged. Yes. Um, and we talked about this in our Corinthian series a few weeks ago, uh, talking about that there is some sort of final assessment. Uh, I was at a uh, youth group was happening here a few weeks ago, and I was in the office hiding away as I do to get away from the noise. And all of a sudden, there were some kids there asking me some questions, some teenagers. And one of the teenagers asked me, are you scared of the judgment day? And I said, yes and no, in that order. I'm not scared of the judgment day because I know that in Jesus I am saved and I will go to heaven because of who Jesus is and what he has done for me. But there is some level of assessment there. There is some sort of... Um, Paul talks about escaping as if through a fire, that everything will be tested that everything a Christian has done will be tested and the good things will survive and the bad things will be burnt up. And so I, I do have concerns for that judgment day. Sometimes I get up here and preach pretty dodgy messages. And whether you notice that or not, I know it in my heart that I could have done better. On the final judgment day, all that work will be assessed and God will be the one who says, yes, that one was right, that one was no good, you should have tried again on that one. It'll be too late by then, but it'll all be assessed. But that's not a matter of salvation. That's not a matter of whether I go to heaven or hell because that decision was made for me at the cross when Jesus shed his blood for me. But there will be some level of assessment. Perhaps our language is clumsy here. Christians will be held to account for what they've done in the name of Jesus, and what, how they have shared, what they've done with the talents that God has given to them. Does that sort of answer your question? That's wildly off topic for this morning, Hans, but thank you for bringing it up. Is that kind of come answering your question? If you'd like to talk more about it, I'd love to share with you more. Yes? The good question. So Hans is asking supplementary questions now. Uh, what are we in the Senate now? That's how they do it in the Senate. 
Uh, so the question was, is it Jesus or God who judges? The answer is Jesus. The answer is yes. Thank you, Ian. The answer is Jesus. It's very clear through the scriptures that Jesus is the one who has been appointed judge of the living and the dead. Acts chapter 10 makes that very clear. That Jesus is the one who is the judge on the final day. And Jesus says it himself there in John chapter 5. I'm the one that God has put in charge of judging, making decisions about who gets in and who doesn't. Of course, we know that Jesus' secret is God. Yes? He's God's son. He has all the authority of God here on earth. He is truly and properly God and truly and properly man. So the answer is yes and Jesus is the right answer. Yes. Good question. But again, in that Corinthians complicates it a bit more, and we have a part in that. We talked about that some months ago now, uh, but good questions. Are there any other questions this morning? Yes. I, stay, I don't take statements, but all right, go ahead. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yes. Yes. Very good. Thank you. Well done, John. You, should, you can preach next week. No, next week we've got Pastor Pam, so the week after. All right. Um, yes, I can't repeat all of that for the tape, but John's just saying how wonderful I am. Is that right? Thank you. Uh, no, but it's important. And that shows to me, John, that you are a true Wesleyan. You're a true Wesleyan Arminian. You belong in this church. It's the right place because we are convinced that, yes, God, we do our part, God does his part, and then people get a choice. And here in the book of Acts, we've got Peter, the greatest preacher perhaps of his generation, and there are signs and wonders and people are being healed and things are happening all over the place, and we're going to find out that about another 2,000 people get saved, and the number of believers is up to 5,000 in a city of 100,000. So what's wrong with the other 95,000? Why aren't they convinced? I don't know. And this is how the Christianity will spread in this way across the world, but it's going to take centuries of preaching and of wonders and signs and miracles, and not everyone's going to be convinced. And even now in our country, which used to be a Christian, well, I don't think we ever were a Christian country. We're certainly not a Christian country anymore. We proclaim the word of God. We see miracles, and yet so many people do not believe. You've got me preaching on another topic, John. I'll come to a conclusion. What I wanted to talk about it to conclude is this idea of the holy servant. Did you notice it there in the prayer that they prayed? They referred to the apostles, the disciples, the believers, referred to Jesus as God's holy servant. That phrase is only found twice in the whole Bible, and they're both here in Acts chapter 4, where Jesus is called the holy servant, your holy servant, Jesus. And you might remember in last week's message in Acts chapter 3, as, Paul, as Peter is preaching about Jesus, he keeps calling Jesus the servant of God, the servant of God. And sometimes other people are called servants of God as well. So David is a servant of God. And then they talk about themselves as being servants of God. And there seems to be some sort of 
uh, development happening here in the book of Acts, where they start off with Jesus is special. He's a servant of God. But then actually he's more than that. He's a holy servant of God. And sometimes they refer to Jesus as the Messiah or the Christ. Uh, and sometimes they refer to him in different ways. But it will be nine whole chapters of Acts until somebody says, actually, Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Son of God. It's going to be weeks and months and maybe a year or two into the church before somebody goes, actually, this Jesus that we've been so excited about, he's actually the Son of God. And from there it carries on. They never call him the Holy Servant of God again. They call him the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I don't want to make too much of this, but I think the apostles are still coming to realize who Jesus is in these early chapters of Acts. They're still wrestling with their theology. They're still working some things out. They don't have it all quite worked out perfectly just yet. And I don't think the church quite has it perfect just yet either because we keep arguing about it. They have heard Jesus call himself the Son of God, but they haven't quite made the leap in these early chapters. But that doesn't stop them proclaiming what they do know and what they have heard. And I think this is an encouragement to all of us. We do not have to have everything worked out perfectly. We don't have to have all our ducks in a row. That's an English idiom, meaning I've got everything organized and perfect. To have my ducks in a row. I don't know why they're ducks and I don't know why they're in a row. It's an idiom. We don't have to have an ideal a theology and understanding before God can start to use us. Because God wants to work with and through us to accomplish his purposes. To set people free to bring life and salvation. So I want to encourage you this morning to step out with what you do have and what you do know. And when people come to you with a question and say, well, what about this? You can say, I don't know about that. But what I do know is this, Jesus saves. People can come to you and say, what, 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 what's happening in Israel and Gaza? And you can say, I don't know about that. That's God's problem. What I do know is what Jesus says. We can step out with that gospel certainty. We don't have to know everything 100% as long as we're sure that Jesus saves and that he is the only one who can. We can step out with a gospel priority that this message needs to be shared no matter the opposition, no matter what other people say. This message needs to be passed along. And if you're not bold enough to go, and if you're not bold enough to, to move to another country or become a missionary, then give with your gifts. Give with what you have got. Support the work of the missions overseas. Give your gifts. Be faithful in your giving. The world says, spend what you've got on your own pleasures. And we say, no, it's, we need to do what God says, not what the world says. And we should step out with a gospel dependency. We need God to show up and do his thing. We cannot do this on our own. We need his help. And so we must pray for boldness and for him to stretch out his hand. 
How can we do this in a simple way? Well, I've been talking, we've got an alpha course coming up next year. I'm planning to run an alpha course here in term two after Easter. And so I'm encouraging each and every person in this room who can hear my voice to think of someone, to pray to the Lord. Who can I invite? Who can I bring with me to hear that good news? And perhaps you don't have anyone who lives in this area who you can invite. Then ask the Lord to open ways for you to get to know your neighbours or to get to know someone or to make a friend. Ask the Lord to show you the way to go and how to do that as we pray for boldness, as we pray for God to back us up and to come with us. Yes, we do our part. God does his. And then people make a choice. And the Holy Spirit adds the increase. The song that I've chosen for us to reflect on this morning is another Salvation Army war song. It says, give us a day of wonders. Jehovah, bear thine arm. The idea that we want God to roll up his sleeves and start doing amazing things. Pour out thy Holy Spirit. Make known thy healing balm. Again, beautiful old words, a healing balm and ointment to fix people up. Give blessings without number. Supply us from thy store. Dear Saviour, richly bless us. Baptize us more and more. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. And the chorus says, Lord, hear us while we pray. Now thy spirit give. Let the dying live and bless us here today. For our prayer this morning, I would like you to invite you to join with me in a version of the prayer that the apostles prayed, the church prayed in Acts chapter 4. Let's pray this prayer together. Sovereign God, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Amen. Amen.